Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Boys in Red and White podcast. My name is Tom Dow and I'm joined as always by my best friend Andre Grayson. Hello Mr Dow. Hello Mr Grayson and this is a podcast we're recording um, a, a day after we've already seen each other so I'm sure there'll be some repeat uh, conversations that we had yesterday um, when we saw each other at the uh, Women's North London Derby which we'll, we'll touch on shortly. Um, Mido. Mido, Mido. <laughs> um, but yeah, thoroughly enjoyable day yesterday. Um, and I, I found myself enjoying it a lot more than I sort of anticipated I would. Um, because I've, I've not really done many live um, games for the women. I know you've done a few more because you've done, you went to the Euros a little bit and you went on Tuesday night to the, to the Champions League game against Ajax. Um, but for me, that's that's one of the uh, one of, if not, may, I'm trying to think if there's been any others. I think that might be my first occasion seeing seeing the women live. So it was it was a lovely lovely afternoon. It, it definitely was. It definitely was. Um, we, we probably need to talk talk about um, the fact we went with our respective partners. But I have to say, we sat in the West Stand, and what a seat, Tom! What a I knew you were going to bring this up. I knew this was going to be your first port of call. <laughs> I think it was the own personalised telly. Um, personalised is a bit much. Um, my name wasn't on the screen. But when you sit in the lower tier further back, you get access to televisions. So you can see the big screen still, and it was a, a, a second behind, much to my OCD frustration. But um, I have to say, what a view. And it did make me fall in love with the Emirates again. Sometimes when you sit somewhere different, especially when you go lower or upper and when you, you mix it up, you really see a great view of the stadium and just how brilliant a place it is to watch football. I have to say that was one of my overriding emotions coming home yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I I I, I tend to because my my seat is at the Emirates, very very high up. It's a good view. It's a good overview of the of the of the game. But I do quite enjoy having um, a change of view periodically. So because uh, Aussie Matt goes quite often, and sometimes we get a seat next to each other, um, I I sometimes drift down to the lower tier or wherever he sat. So I, I probably make my way around the stadium a little bit more than you get the chance to. Um, and I did that for the Leicester game on the opening home game of the season, and it was. Like you say, it gives you that perspective, and it just just really encapsulates how great the Emirates is um, as as a venue to watch football. Um, so yeah, um, it was very nice sitting in the West Stand lower with you. And as as you mentioned, we had our uh, both our, our wives with us, which uh, <laughs> was I believe that was the first game that my wife has been to since Leicester at home during the Unai Emery era. Uh, when Meza Ozil put on an absolute masterclass and I spent the entire second half trying to explain to her just how special his performance was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. And, and, and amazingly, that was Kelly's last uh, Emirates visit as well. Oh, uh, fantastic. Of course, since done, you know, her hardened away support, 0-0 at Brighton away last season, 1-0 loss against Southampton. Um, it's not hard to see with those results why she's not been back very often. <laughs> Well, to be fair, Laura's Laura's done two games and has had a three-one win and a four-nil win yesterday. So she's <laughs> got yeah every game. I think yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure she's coming for the men's North London derby on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, very good. Well, I, I just wanted to touch on a little bit about the fact um, we were a, a part of a record-breaking crowd, 
Um, I actually wanted to talk about the something that, that really stood out to me that was quite surprising. And this is this is not our usual fanfare on the boys in red and white, but I was really surprised at the um, makeup of the crowd. And I suppose what I mean is I really felt there was an overwhelming lack of your normal season ticket holders there. Of yeah. course, it's great. And it was cheap tickets. But this is still Arsenal. And that was still Tottenham. And I did find the whole... Um, not, not, not that there was more women than men or anything. I don't mean that at all. But there was a, a lack of Arsenal fans that would normally go. You know, I really thought there was going to be a bit of animosity and needle. But maybe that's just women's football. I mean, when it began and Tottenham came out and I booed and I was the only one... Um, <laughs> I thought that let, sort of summed it up quite nicely. Let, let me just explain that this set the tone superbly because we had probably a six-year-old in front of us who immediately was encapsulated with everything you were doing from that point onwards. And obviously, with it being Tottenham, you particularly were struggling with the not swearing in front of a child. Um, I did very well. You did do not very once. well. Very well. Not once. Uh, you whispered a few things to me. Which is fine, and we shared we shared our uh, equal animosity towards the enemy. But um, yeah, you did well to control yourself. But Kelly, your your wife, obviously um, made a best friend for the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think um, that was. Uh, I think she regretted that um, <laughs> by the end of the game. Um, but I know, I know what you mean. It was. Um, I think because of obviously the the ease of access to tickets, I think a lot of people took it as an opportunity to make it a family day out, understandably. Um, so there was a lot of uh, young children that were at the game. And as you say, there's lots of people coming to the, to the Emirates, probably for the first time, a lot of people. Um, mm -hmm. When you think like, I think the official, obviously there was 53,000 tickets sold. I think the official number in terms of who actually attended was about 47,000, which yeah, right. um, was, it's still remarkable, remarkable. And mm. the more games we can get like that for the women, the better. And obviously from someone like me, I take an interest in the women's uh, women's game. I watch them if they're on TV. But as I, as I alluded to at the start, I, it's not been something that I've often attended well i said at the start i've never attended um <laughs> but it's something that i will actively seek seek out to try and do more because i really enjoyed it and i didn't realize just how much of a connection you sort of create between you and the players off of that one incident and i and i think a big factor of that obviously there's this this big love for the the english players particularly because of the euros um but I just, I just really, really enjoyed it, and it was passionate. And the players looked like they understood what it meant about beating Tottenham. And even mm. though the Tottenham, team, let, let, let's be honest, Arsenal won four nil. Arsenal are a very, very good side and play very good football. It's very entertaining to watch. Tottenham are a terrible team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they are. Like, like, like the golf inequality between the two sides is enormous. And obviously, you look at that. There's a, a big factor beyond that. Is is that Tottenham are a fairly new team when it comes to the, the women's league. Uh, but ultimately, the golf is huge, and I thoroughly enjoyed that. <laughs> uh, no, absolutely. I mean, I went knowing it's as close to a surefire win as possible. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I think what's so interesting is, look, I, I, I say this often to anyone who sort of says about my, my enjoyment of women's football, if you go there expecting to watch 
um, the same caliber as you'll get as men. You know, it's just totally different. It's like it's the same sport, but it's played so differently because, you know, physicality wise, although there was I, I loved it. They're number 14. I believe she, she was Turkish, started giving it to Katie McCabe and you started to see that needle and it was fucking brilliant. Oh, I've done it again. It was absolutely. <laughs> to be fair, that's not bad. 18, eight minutes and 18 seconds. And that's the it first was, swear word. That's not bad. It was it was fucking brilliant, though. And it was just seeing that, like. There's a perception, I think, of women's football that they're all nicey-nice. They're, they're really not. It's it's as aggressive. Like, this is the highest level you can get in women's sport. And admittedly, if you say that and then you watch some of the, the Tottenham performances, like, yeah, there'll be more misplaced passes. Yes, long balls won't look like they zing across the pitch as hard. But you've got to take it for what it is, right? Because I know there's a lot of stuff, oh, the women lost to 15-year-olds. Like, that can happen. Men and women are totally physiologically different and even you know we had a 15 year old come on against Brentford so which will come on to playing in the men's games they're not exactly you know wilting flowers but I think it's very fair to say that it's a great standard of football and there really is something arsenally to get out of it and I suspect we will go to the the Chelsea and Man U games that are on at the Emirates and with me being around the corner from Meadow Park I'll probably go to the majority of home games I mean I was at the Ajax game um, on Tuesday and it was uh, you know as I said we were 2-1 up with 10 minutes to go dominating looking for the third goal to kill the game get done on the counter draw 2-2 and now we've got a tough job on Wednesday night um, in the return leg which felt very very familiar of Arsenal in the Champions League but I would encourage anyone to go and uh, take in an Arsenal women's game because they, they they play top stuff and the players really do love the club and they're they're part of the fabric of what makes us quite so special. Yeah. Um I'm gonna go back to um obviously you mentioned Katie McCabe and her reaction um throughout mm-hmm. the game, but particularly in the second half, um, where she was just having a great time. She was having a great time winding up the Tottenham players and being overly aggressive at times and it was it was tremendous. And it's, it's, it's that needle that you expect in a North London derby. And I think for anyone who went for the first time yesterday to see the women, like like myself, I think you'll, you'll, you'll instantly get that connection that they are Arsenal. Are you, I mean, I, I mentioned to you, we obviously we've got Leah Williamson, who is, who is Arsenal through and through. And in the, when we beat Fulham, they had a camera on Leah Williamson in the stands and she was celebrating both of our goals against Fulham like any other Arsenal fan would celebrate because she absolutely gets it. And mm. I think it, it kind of all builds from her. And I know I know she's not the official captain of Arsenal. She's not, is she? It's Kim Little, isn't it? Yeah, she is. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Kim I, is, I, yeah. Yeah, I was doubting my uh, doubting my knowledge then, um, but I know I know Leah Williamson isn't the captain, but she she is in all but the armband because she just encapsulates everything that it means to be an Arsenal player, and she leads from the back. She builds up the attacks. It's just it's just great. I love her. <laughs> I love everything about her performance yesterday. It was just um, all the Tottenham players were trying to trying to press her every time she got the ball, and it was just like it was a waste of their time. A waste of their time because she was just playing out from the back so comfortably. Um, but a really thoroughly enjoyable uh, experience and one that I'm looking forward to uh, repeating again uh, with you at some point. And I, and I may well make my way up to Meadow Park at some point because it's a ground I've not yet ticked off. 
So Groundhopper stipulates that I, I need to go there. Wow, really does. It really does. Anyway, enough of uh, enough of um, the brilliant, uh, fantastic women. Um, I think uh, it's it's uh, about high time we talked. Um, since we last spoke, we played at um, the Brentford, the sorry, the GTEC Brentford Community Stadium. Yeah. Um, and that was a fairly special, special uh, Sunday morning. It really was, and it was. Obviously, the last time we recorded a podcast, we were very unsure about that game going ahead. And obviously, because of my tardiness in getting the podcast out, our views on the postponed fixtures were hopelessly out of date. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But by the time it went out, obviously, we knew that the Brentford game was going ahead, albeit two hours earlier than it was um, originally scheduled to kick off. So it was a wonderful morning. Well, early afternoon. It was a wonderful early afternoon. Arsenal obviously won 3-0. And it was as dominant a display as I think we've probably seen under Mikel Arteta against a team that could potentially be quite challenging. And we made them look very, very ordinary. We, we absolutely did. I mean, just just on the... the I, I, I... Everyone will have sort of read about all the analysis and, and there's lots of things to talk about. I particularly want to talk about um, Ethan Nuaneri. Um, I, you and I went to the first game of the season last season and it was a very confusing, I mean, I mean, I heard about the Sky commentary about, I kept going on about it. It was a very confusing game that Brentford won because if you were in the away end, you were so grateful to be back in an away end. And I know we lost, but we had so many players out and we kind of knew it was what it was and we had a terrible three games. But for Arsenal fans, I think we just put that Brentford game in a box. Went, yep, fair play. They beat us fair and square. Um, but I suspect if we had our players fit, we'd, we'd have beaten them. And definitely if we played them later in the season at their ground, we probably would have beaten them, albeit it would have been a nail-biting 1-0 where we cling on for dear life like <laughs> most of our away games last season. Yeah. But... I was so great. It was so great to be back after that first game because it shows you how far we've all come in respect of we're not in lockdown. We don't, you know, uh, the irony that we missed a game the the week prior for a a random game being cancelled for an unforeseen reason. But I really like their ground, even though it's a bizarre place to get to. And, you know, I I bear no ill will to Brentford. I, I think they're a great club. I really like Thomas Frank. Um, but the way we started that match with the chance within one minute and the authority we bossed a very good, well-coached Brentford side. I mean, one of the things that really stood out to me, um, I was I was right at the back um, behind the goal where Vieira scores his um, uh, howitzer. Um, I was the very last row you could be. So I had a cracking view of the game. I have to say, Brian and Buemo... And the way Brentford work him into the channel is quite incredible. It's almost metronomic. And they did it time and time again. But my God, we shut it down. But they will cause problems for everyone, especially yeah. at home. Like they are a good side. And I don't think I've seen an Arsenal performance as professional, as dominant and as coherent as that in, in the best part of a decade. Not where we've controlled a team defensively. Even when we played scintillating stuff under Wenger, I don't think we've been as assured defensively in possession as that against a 
good, good side. I mean, I was worried when that, I was worried about this game. So I think it's just a huge testament to how far we've come. Yeah, I was worried as well. And particularly with obviously the news of um, Ivan Tony being called up to England squad, I thought there'd be a real feel-good factor around the club. And there was, because obviously they were celebrating that fact. Um, but I thought particularly him, who I I think we all had identified as the danger man that we had to really be aware of, bear in mind what happened when we played them at the start of last season. Um, and I think we managed him brilliantly. We didn't give them an opportunity. I mean, it, it it was very clear very early on that their tactic was to get the ball wide and get it in the box as quickly as possible to try and isolate Tony against one of our centre-halves. And we restricted that very, very quickly after they started doing that. And we prevented them from doing it. And then once we, once we, we got got our, our groove on, so to speak, we just, we just dominated. And great to see William Saliba get another goal. Um, a bit of a, it's a weird celebration that one, isn't it? Because obviously, when he scores, I think from where we were, I think everyone knew that it, it probably had crossed the line, but no one could really celebrate until the referee pointed to the centre circle. So it was kind of a delayed response um, from the players as well. Um, and then obviously, the second goal is just is just a fantastic goal. It's fantastic build up play, and then Granite Xhaka, who I'm sure we'll come on to in a minute. Um, with a superb cross and a really, really top-notch header as well to finish it off by uh, the man who walks on water and turns it into wine. <laughs> um, that was uh, spectacular. Um, I I have to say, as much as I just um, gave all the plaudits to the, the defensive solidity, Gabriel Jesus is the most transformational player we've had since I reckon Dennis Bergkamp. I just think what he has done to this team and the attack from the paucity of options last season. I mean, when we signed a Bamiyang, we thought he might be like this and he was great and scored loads of goals and many great goals and big goals and big games and won us an FA Cup. But Gabriel Jesus has lifted the whole squad the whole squad to another level. And it is so exciting to watch. That header is unbelievable. It's a, yes, great cross. That header is sensational. Yeah. The power he generates. And he just was a terrier all game. He should have had a hat trick. You know, he had a couple of really good opportunities. But I just think he is unbelievable what he's done to this team, both from a mentality perspective, a physicality in the front line perspective, but also just that winning that winning edge, you know, he's so hungry for it. I've never seen a player close down defenders like him. I, um, I, I, I love him. I love him. And um, it's exciting. He's going to miss a game in October, though. Four yellows yes. already. <laughs> um, he absolutely would, I, will. Would, it, would it be ridiculous of me to say that if he made all those fouls he got booked for at Man City, he'd have got them all? Hmm. I don't think so. Somehow, um, <laughs> but... yeah, I'm with you on that. I'm definitely with you on that. But less said about that, the better. It's a joyful time. Let's not um, let's not complain about the pathetic standard of refereeing. 
No, um, but he's just he's just tremendous, isn't he? It's just, everything about him is 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 fantastic, and I I do agree with you. It is a completely transform transformative um, signing, and it's one that you. I again, I, I mentioned it on a on an earlier podcast that you have to applaud Arteta and Edu for getting that one over the line because he would have been inundated with offers from clubs in the Champions League, to, um, both in the Premier League and across Europe. And the fact that we were able to get that deal over the line is a testament to the structure that Arsenal have at the moment and the direction that they are going, that they were able to sell this project to a player of his calibre. And as, as much as I, like, I don't think he's going to be someone who scores us um, as many goals as some people think he will, because I don't think that's what his game's not all about. That he will get us goals. He's, all, I mean, he's already got four goals in 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 the league, and he'll get he'll get his fair share of goals. But I just, he's, that's not what he brings to the side. If other players are scoring goals because he's bringing them into play, which is what we're seeing so far, then I don't think Arsenal fans care about the output that he's really getting in terms of numbers. Um, I mean, we keep seeing it's unbelievable that he was um, not in the Brazil squad. But I'm very happy about that because it means he gets some gets a rest and he's going to be fresh for the North London derby. So I'm 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 fine with that. And if if Tottenham fans want to be crowing about Richarlison playing for Brazil and scoring for Brazil, let them let them have that. I don't I don't care because I'm I I genuinely think we got the better the better signing in uh, Gabriel Jesus. I totally agree. I totally agree, and I'm uh, I couldn't be happier with him. And you alluded to um, you alluded to him earlier with his uh, fantastic, lovely uh, clipped cross. But because um, we've I... got Granite <laughs> Jacker, we've got. <laughs> I did think that moment at the end was beautiful, and you can it see was. what it meant to him. I I um, have defended him fairly relentlessly. Uh, and I'm not saying it's because I, I knew he was always there, but I just always liked Granite Xhaka as a player. I, I think it's because he plays the game with the aggression I um, have sported football pitches with. Um, I think, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> so I see a lot of my... back from uh, stories. <laughs> <you told me. laughs> I see a lot of myself in um, in Granite. I have to say. Um, Although I probably haven't got the um, left foot clip delivery into Gabriel Jesus anytime soon. But I, I just think what a renaissance. Um, I am also feeling like, would you put it past him to get sent off on Saturday? <laughs> no, because that seems to have been the way it's gone for him throughout his Arsenal career is the minute it starts going up, something stupid is around the corner and it just feels different yeah. this time. But for me, for him to get the adjuration from that away support and the love from the fans after all this time is a really quite beautiful um, arc in terms of how it's gone for, for our um, our Mr. Granite. Yeah, and I said I said after the game, because obviously he, he picked up his customary yellow card um, for obs- obstructing the goalkeeper and he, he took the yellow, didn't complain about it. I mean, he couldn't complain about it. <laughs> it, was a, it was a very obvious yellow card. Um, and then... I said to my dad after the game that, I mean, you correct me if I'm wrong. Has he ever been sent off for two bookable offences, or have they all been straight reds that he's had? He has been sent off for two bookable offences. When was that? Because I'm, I'm trying to remember. Because how many reds has he had? Was it? Is it? Oh, of course, it was Burnley. Yeah. 
Um, the first time he got sent off. Yeah. Against Burnley because it's been twice. <laughs> yeah, but primarily, like he's on. He basically lives on a yellow card. And he he's very good at managing himself on a yellow card. Is 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 kind of the point I was trying to make. Um, albeit you've you've dismissed that point quite quite dramatically. Um, <laughs> but he's very good at that. He gets he gets booked quite frequently, as we know. And everyone always goes, "Oh God, here we go. He's going to get himself sent off." And invariably, he doesn't because he just knows how to manage his game without doing that. Um, it doesn't mean to say it doesn't worry me. Because it does, and every time he gets gets a yellow card, my instant thoughts were, "How long's to go in the game? Is he going to get a second one?" But <laughs> in himself, he seems quite comfortable being on that on that in that format. It's quite incredible. It's quite incredible. He, he, he you got you got to admit, he, he he does manage himself very well. But he does. It is terrifying. It will always be terrifying. But I, I'm, I get terrified when anyone gets booked. Yeah. After the last few seasons under Mikel Arteta, in fairness, we we bear the scars for a reason. We do, um, but just to just to end to our our little praise of Granit Xhaka, he has. I I, th- I think it's probably been about eighteen months that he's been pretty solid for Arsenal, and mm-hmm. it's been this season he's just gone up a level, and he's just. We keep saying, and every transfer window, it's we've got to replace Granit Xhaka. And every transfer window, we get to the end of the window and he's still there. And he's someone that you wouldn't want to lose now because on, on top of being a very, very good footballer, it's the character that he brings to the dressing room. And I think we saw that to an extent in the All or Nothing documentary. Uh, but he just he just brings something to the, to the table that, that no one else does. And I think the character that he is... That's very difficult to find in a player to have someone that sort of is is the unofficial leader who brings everyone together. And I think you can look at when when we scored the first goal. A, a lot of people commented about this online, but when we scored the first goal, there was a, sort of an impromptu huddle where Xhaka and Gabriel Jesus were giving giving feedback to the players and having almost like a little team talk just before we went back to to restart the game. So I think it's so important to have players like that. It really is. He's the captain without being the captain. There's no, there's no question if you ask me. Um, well, I think that's that's looking back. And of course, there was great performance from Fabio Vieira. Um, I had a look. So Thomas Partey didn't play for Ghana. Tommy Asu's been sent home from Japan. Kieran Tierney went off after 42 minutes. I Tinchenko. watched. I, I did watch some of the um, Scotland oh, game, and it was it was a head injury he came off with apparently. So, yeah. Look, I, I heard he sort of was over-egging the pudding and then they took him off and he was fuming. Was that right? <laughs> um, I, to be fair, I turned on literally about a minute after he went off. So, I'm, I, so a lot of what I'm reporting was was sort of commentary hearsay. Um, okay. I, I watched the second half and it was, um, yeah, it was interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> it wasn't I, a great I, standard of football. <laughs> no, no, it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be. Um so, uh, so yeah, so look, a lot of players not really playing for international. Of course, we had Bakayo Saka at left wing back, um, which is the only one really that I'm concerned about because, you know, I, I, I think he'll probably get dropped um, for the Germany game on Monday. Um, dropped is a harsh phrase, I know, but I'd be very, very surprised if he plays uh, again. Yeah. He also only played 70 minutes and it looked like he wasn't really trying. I don't think... I mean that about an attitude problem. I just think 
he found left wing back incredibly hard. He's been playing on the right wing for <laughs> for the team that's top of the league. So I know I'll stick him. I'll stick him left back. Nice <laughs> well one, Gareth. Gareth. <laughs> yeah, top top use of resources. What I didn't get about that as well. I know this isn't going to be about England, but but to put Phil Foden right wing, who's a who's a brilliant like number ten, someone you want moving all around the pitch really because he's incredibly creative and I think Foden is a brilliant player but you, you know in at City you can play him where you like because they got the ball 95% it's absolutely insane to, to play Saka left wing and Foden there I just anyway I digress um, but looking <laughs> forward we should uh, boast um, getting everyone back Saliba actually played 70 minutes for France he wasn't originally starting but came off the bench um, after 20 minutes and played out the remaining 70. So I think he'll feel pretty good that he's getting in the squad. Uh, ben White didn't play. Uh, Odegaard did play, which was a bit of a surprise inclusion. Um, played 70 minutes for in Norway's loss. You'll never guess who scored for Norway. Um, but when John I look Arnerisa. at that and we've got... Uh, <laughs> yes, it was John Arnerisa. No, it was um, Bjornby. Um, um, but when I look... Uh, so we go... And we'll just reel this off. Spurs on Saturday. Bodo glimped at home Thursday. Liverpool Sunday. Bodo glimped Thursday away. Leeds away. PSV home. Southampton away. PSV away. Nottingham Forest at home. And then Zurich at home. Chelsea away. Brighton at home. Wolves away. So that is our run from now until the World Cup, no breaks and a midweek every single, um, every single week for the next, uh, I make it eight weeks, seven or eight weeks. It's insane, isn't it? It's insane, the scheduling. uh, And I get because of the World Cup, but it's just, I mean, we've we've spoken about this. It's it's an absolute nonsense that the World Cup is when it is. um, And it's having such a, a a detrimental effect on, on domestic leagues. Um, and I, I mean, the player welfare is surely one one thing that has to be considered. But I don't know. It's just it's just insane. Obviously, from fans, it's great that we get to go to football so often. Um, perhaps not great for our respective relationships, but um, nevertheless, it's nice going to football. But it's going to be a tough tough two months, um, and it's one that you you really hope that. I, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna backtrack a little bit because obviously I spoke to you yesterday and I, I completely forgot that the Man City game got rearranged and I was talking to you about how how tough our run of games is and then obviously when you take that out of the equation it doesn't look anywhere near as bad or as daunting as as it as it once did um, so I'm feeling quite optimistic about the run of games um, it's just going to be really important how Arteta rotates his squad. Because there's there's some games which, I mean, we, we spoke yesterday about the Tottenham game at home and the Liverpool home game and how much we'd be ecstatic with four points from those two games, what, whatever order it comes in. Um, so I think that's what we need to be focusing on. But I don't know, what, what, are, you, what are your thoughts on the, on the run? Uh, well, the thing is, with, with, look, back, North London derby, as much as this, this is horrible, I do think it's really important we don't, lose that match and I think that will be Spurs's well that's how they play most games it looks like Spurs's mentality too yeah um I'd take a point I think it's really important we don't lose to them more from the perspective about what it would do for them less about what it would do to us yeah 
And they've only beaten us once in 29 years. Um, and they've never won it. They've only won once at the Emirates. Um, no, that's yeah, that was, a fun, that, was a, that was a fun day. <laughs> that was horrible. Well, actually, do you know, it was one of the best atmospheres I've ever had in the 12 pins afterwards. Well, yeah, it was great. You. Yeah, I remember um, it. It was so great. So if we managed to make that a good day, then we can do anything. Um, yeah. So uh, anyway, but the games I'm worried about in that are Leeds and Southampton, respectively, where they will have a week to repair. Uh, to prepare and we go away to Bodo before Leeds and we're home to PSV which you'd have to assume is our biggest game um, in the Europa League group stages could be wrong before Southampton away on the 23rd and I, I worry about those games we've got a terrible record at Southampton and Leeds still play quite high octane stuff so th I'm more worried about those games than Liverpool and even when we were playing City I sort of felt that they've got the demanding schedule too. You'd actually rather play some of the bigger teams here. Yeah. Um, was my view. But I could be totally wrong. And it could be perfect that we're playing teams. You know, when you look at Forest at home after PSV away, Forest is probably the only game Forest at home that I look at and go, we should be able to get through that after a, a Europa League game. But the rest are, are tough. But I think if we win on Saturday, the North London derby and set ourselves up for that run, We'll get a lot of goodwill in the bank and, and after 10 games, we'll, we'll see, won't we? We'll see whether we we got a chance this year of making top four. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think the way we started the season, um, I think everyone would agree if we didn't get top four, um, it would it would be very, very disappointing very, based on the squad we have now and the start we've made and how dominant we can look in certain games. Um, I think this is this is our big opportunity. As much as last year we had a, we had a huge chance we missed to get into the Champions League, um, this feels like the big one where we we look like a team capable of it. Last year we sort of skirted on the out, outside of it and we never looked overly convincing, um, despite mm. the position we were in. Um, whereas this year we we look a really strong side and we we do look convincing and we look like a team that doesn't look out of place in the top four. Um, and I think that's the, that's the big thing this year. Um, but yeah, North London Dub is massive. I'm, I'm dreading it. I hate it. Um, it's never enjoyable until after the fact. I've already secured a... Uh, <laughs> you'll be pleased to know. Obviously, I spoke to you yesterday about uh, post-game plans, uh, what, whatever the outcome. And there is a train strike next week, which is uh, delightful news. Um, so I've, uh, I've already been in communications with people and I've... Uh, Secure a bed for the night if I need it. So, <laughs> <laughs> top work, mate. Top work. Um, where? Out of interest. Uh, Aussie mats. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Excellent. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. All I'll say is, um, Boreham Wood are playing um, Maidenhead at uh, five twenty. So if it doesn't go well, I'll I'll be. I'll be drowning my sorrows there. Um, no, I think I, I think what I was going to ask you was before we we delve into the the into CC um, was you know realistically when you look at if if I just gave you three games of, of Spurs, Liverpool, and Leeds away as our next three league games, what do you think you'd be happy with? And, and bear in mind the top four. Like it's very exciting to imagine we're in a title race, and, and it's you know we're all. We're all so excited about the prospect, but let's, you know, just be realistic for just a moment. Yeah. You know, what do you really, how are you feeling about it? Honestly, I, like, obviously, I think 
a dream scenario, you get seven points would be fantastic. I wouldn't be disappointed if we got six points from those three games. Six points. Six points I would take from those three games. So if if we could beat Tottenham, then maybe lost lost to Liverpool and beat Leeds. Um, I, I I'd be I'd be genuinely okay with that. Um, what about you? Um, look, I actually think um, I, the thing is is that. It, 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 it does depend because when I think about top four, I think about games close, uh, you know, rivals around us. I, I, I still don't know about Liverpool. I can't work it out. No, it's a weird one, isn't it? <laughs> it is because it wouldn't surprise you if we beat Spurs and Liverpool and lost to Leeds. Absolutely. I hear what you're saying about six, but I, I, I don't think four, considering where we are, considering that would be 10 games in, we'd, we'd be in the top three. Near enough yeah. a quarter of the season done. You know, it, it's horrible to think about losing any of those games. Um, if I had to pick one, I'd 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 lose I'd lose at Leeds. Um God, winning those two and losing to Leeds. God, if we won those two and beat Leeds, I think I got it's very no, hard to get carried away. away. Don't <laughs> get carried away, Mr. Racing. <laughs> You could see the cogs whirring there, though. Um, I, I, I could. You went back and forth about seven times with your. With yeah, I did. I did. No, you're right. You're right. Four, four points to be a good return. Four points to be a good return. I just the problem is I believe in the team. I think they could get nine. Um, but as I said, I don't think you win. Um, plus the Europa League games, I don't think you win all of those. No, I think uh, I think and- when when Europa League really kicks in, that's going to be a big test for this side because regardless of the the rotation that we put into play, um, it's the quick turnaround. Um, it's the lack of that lack of available training time during the week that we're going to have to get used to not having. Um, so, and it's obviously something we didn't have to contend with last year. So it will be, it will be a big, a big change, a big shift. Um, but we'll, we'll just have to wait and see, but I'm, I'm excited uh, I'm apprehensive because Arsenal. When Arsenal doing well, they make me very nervous. When we're I not agree. doing, when we're not doing well, you kind of go with harboured expectations where you just don't, you don't know what to expect and you kind of prepare for the worst. Um, but when we're doing well, I get very anxious about it. And I know this week's going to be horrible because I'm going to be thinking about the North London derby all week. Um, yeah, not looking forward to it, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, but I think. What what I think is important to remember as well is just like everyone always talks about how uh, oh, we'll see what Arsenal are really like when they play the big teams. It's just like, well, it, 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 what's going to define our season is how consistent we are against the, the lesser teams. Yes. Um, and that's going to dictate whether we get top four or not. It's very nice to pick up points against the bigger sides, um, the so-called top six. But it's going to be more important that we beat the other teams because you play a lot more of them. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. But let's not re- let's remember as well that with the Europa, um, firstly, I think I do think the stando's gone up. Stand stando <laughs> standards gone up. Yeah. Um, but equally, it's so important we come top of that group. So you know, it will there will be a huge benefit to that in the new year because if we come second, it's one extra game and it's yeah. against a Champions League third placer. So it's it's really crucial we do top that group. Now, it's time for this. Chris's Corner. Football Football fun. fun. 
so first, so firstly, Andre, what's your reaction to the Chris's corner jingle <laughs> that he stepped up to the plate to make? <laughs> Look, we have we have nothing but sheer admiration and and uh, you know our gratitudes to Chris, who has created a, a magnificent jingle at long last for for this podcast and uh, befitting of the man himself. I feel it, I feel if he's happy with it, then then absolutely we're happy with it. I, I agree. And I, I'll just uh, give a bit more background to this. So we've so far done three Chris's Corners. Obviously, the first one I don't think was officially called anything. We just got we just spoke about it. And then gradually it's, it's becoming a regular feature. So hence why we have a jingle now. But what he did say is once we've done eight, he wants us to create a competition style FA Cup format where we pit the eight teams against each other and discuss which team will will be triumphant, um, which I'm really excited for. So this is week four now we're looking at. And the, the proposed 11, he has said, is the one-footed 11. Now, he has said we can choose whether it is a left-footed 11 or a right-footed 11, and we can't mix and match across the squad. Um, however, the players must be ones that have famously had a significantly weaker leg. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, so, obviously, this this is... I mean, we always seem to struggle first up with a goalkeeper. <laughs> because I'm thinking... Can you think of a goalkeeper off the top of your head that is instinctively terrible with one of their feet? No, I can't. But I think you could go back to any goalkeeper. You know, I, I would have to put Petr Cech in the mix here that is a very good shout he was not comfortable on the ball at all to be honest <laughs> yeah right or left but his left was marginally better okay so are we going to stick with left-footed players throughout this oh right um yeah i think i think left-footed players i think it's easier yeah might might be hard to come up with a right back um yeah yeah let's do it let's do it Okay, right. So rather than start with the right back like we have uh, historically, we'll start with a with a left back. Um, I mean, you could cliche. Yeah, would you say Cole was better with his right foot than cliche? I mean, he was better with uh, pretty much everything. everything. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so cliche is going left foot. I mean, I know he was included in our in in our our team recently. I would say Pascal Segon has to be a centre half in this because he was atrocious on his right side. (laughs) I'm with you. Yeah, he's in. He's in. I mean, those two have actually featured quite heavily in, in a few. Um, they, they have. They have. <laughs> so hang on, they've all, they've all got to be left-footed. <laughs> Our whole team has to be left-footed, yeah. All right. Um, all right. Uh, other left-footed centre-halves. Well, currently we've got Gabriel. Uh, uh, maybe Pablo Marie. I don't oh, think I ain't... saw him play a pass with his right foot. Y- yeah, and and I think what's funny is that we've got to stick on the right side of our of our back four. We've got to stick either Pablo Marie or Pascal Sigon, and that is that is very little pace in that side. Yeah, it's tough. That's tough. That is tough, but we we're, we're going with it. <laughs> and then the right, right back is going to be the problem. Um, well, we've got, I think we've got to pick a left back, haven't we? We're going to have to pick a left back and stick them in there. Um, Um, hang on, sorry, so we're going Marie Traore. That's a shout. Armin Traore. 
I think he's going right back for us. This is this team is out in whatever whatever happens from here. This team's out. Yeah, um, in in the, in our eight team cup, this team is probably finishing bottom so far. Um, but there are going to be. I, I'm already thinking ahead. There are going to be some magicians in this side as well. So definitely, definitely. So yeah. Okay, what sort of formation do we want? Do we want a four four two or four three three, or four five one? Um, actually, I tell you what, I think we need to have two strikers because there are two strikers screaming out at me uh, with left feet with not much of a right foot. Okay, so we're going 4-4-2 then? I think so, yeah. Okay, um, is one of those strikers, and this very much depends where we're putting him, is one of those strikers Lucas Podolski? No. So he can go on the left, can't he? That's where I've got him. Okay, good. Right, we're putting Podolski... On the left-hand side, that's a that's a very that's a strong left side as well. Is it Klichy and Podolski? It's not much work. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I mean, just his left foot, to be honest. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> no, no, no. That, that that's desire. I mean, we've got Armand Trier right back, so I don't think that's going to be a strong side either. <laughs> no, it's it's not. It's not. Um, all right. So I've got so my strikers were Van Persie and Giroud. Yeah. I, I I had both of those as as potential options there. Chocolate league, chocolate league. <laughs> um, another uh, impression you were uh, living off for the last ten years. <laughs> Ross. Um, uh, <laughs> we could have, um, we could have of course had Arturo Lupoli, who I just like to shout out actually because he he retired this summer. And there was a there was an there article was a, athletic, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Amazing, amazing. It was brilliant. Um, okay, so I've got a midfield duo of Granite Xhaka and Emmanuel Petit. They were the two I had. <laughs> okay, um, so, I'm, so I'm I'm very happy with that. Um, so and we then, got a right wing. And by the way, Saka has a fantastic right foot. He does. This is this is the problem. Nicola Pepe, surely. Oh yes. Oh, well done. Okay, so okay, check. <laughs> <laughs> Who's confronted with a back four of Traore, Mari, Sigan, and Clichy? Jesus. Um, and then they've got f- the bank of four in front of them is Nicola Pepe, Emmanuel Petit, and Granny Jacques is actually not bad. That's all right, but Don't... the work rate on the wings is is atrocious. <laughs> it's going to be tough, and Traore and Clichy are going to need cover, and they're not getting it. Um, and then Van Persie and Giroud, which is a strike force, I actually think would be really quite good. Yeah, yeah, I'm all right with that. Um, okay, we need a, a, our, our five substitutes now. Um, can you think of another left-footed goalkeeper? <laughs> No. Uh, Lukic? No, no, no. <laughs> I don't know why that made me laugh. I really wasn't expecting John Lukic to come out of this conversation. <laughs> Vince Bartram? Um, <laughs> oh, God. I'm, I'm struggling for left-footed players in my entirety now, actually. Oh, Lucas Perez is on the bench. Yes, has to be. So we'll stick him on there. What a, what a player. Yeah. Oh, what a ridiculous um, <laughs> Um, can you think of any other left-footed defenders that weren't Ashley Cole? Um, Real? I mean, I don't. I didn't. Who was that? Notable Monreal. I don't know. Monreal. 
Yeah, I'd say let's stick Monreal on the bench. I, I think the bench is all right to have some that were maybe not as weak. Um, but then you then then you beg the question: Why are they not in the eleven? <laughs> who 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 are we going to get bollocked about here, Tom? <laughs> there'll be there'll be one. There, there there will definitely be one that that we get we get annihilated for. Um, would you have Edu Winterburn. on the bench? Winterburn, oh, yeah, Edu. I'd actually no. Winterburn has scored a goal with his right foot. Same with. Silvino, they're yeah, all but Edu scored out that ridiculous curler at Celta Vigo with his right foot as well. I've got to rule Edu out on that basis. Okay, we'll rule him out. Sorry, Edu, you've missed. If, if anyone scored a, a good goal with their right foot, I think they're auto out. Okay, and that was a very good goal with his right foot. <laughs> um, historically, that we haven't had many left-footed central midfielders or or, or midfielders other than wingers, really. Um, so new, new Jack Wilshere. Oh yeah, he's. Oh, but yeah, he, he, he has scored with his right, hasn't he? Yeah, I mean, he scored that Norwich goal, but he hasn't scored like a blaster with his right foot. No, so, so I think he can make the bench. Okay, he's very left footed. Okay, Jack on the bench. This is, I mean, hard. Odegaard, Odegaard, but I don't. Yeah. Eduardo? Yeah, I think Eduardo is the strike as a, a striking option. Um, didn't do an awful lot on his right foot. Okay, so and we need. We, we, I mean, we need a goalkeeper, but I don't think we're going to get one. So um, no, I'm going to do some quick research really <laughs> quickly now. Um, Vince, you're listening to the Boys in Red and White podcast. <laughs> <laughs> there must be. There must be. Um, there must be a way to do this. Left. I'm googling left-footed Arsenal goalkeepers. Have a look here. This could be quite funny. Okay. Oh my God, Meza Özil, not not in goal. Just for clarity. That's that's pretty poor. He's the one we were getting roasted for, wasn't he? Yeah, but didn't he not? Was he just not technically brilliant anyway? He was, and uh, I feel like he could use his right foot as much as he's a very, very, very left-footed player. He's. He's still capable on the other side, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he's not. He's, and he's not a player that you associate with a blasted finish either, is he? Like on either foot, it's always a uh, a majestic curler or, or a, an impudent dink. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't say he. I wouldn't say he would make my list for being overly one footed, even though he obviously was. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I hear you. I hear you. God, there are some terrible websites out here. Um, yeah, I, I don't think Meza is is counts. Okay, he's he's ruled out. He's ruled out. I mean, I'm I'm happy with our eleven. I think it's quite it's quite a funny eleven. I'm happy with the eleven. Yeah, I, I'm looking frantically for um for a goal. I mean, we are currently. It's, it's pertinent we're doing left footed because the Saliba header ended a run of left footed goals. Um, we had had sequentially. I don't know if you knew that. I did not know that. That's uh... we had the longest run in Premier League history of left-footed goals. Arsenal breaking records left, right, and centre. We really particularly are. left. Nice, very good. <laughs> nice touch. So, I'm, I'm, are, are you I'm looking at the goalkeeper. Oh, Kieran Gibbs. Oh, should we should we just go heavy on the bench and just gamble? We don't need a goalkeeper. 
it's risky. But I, I fancy Kieran Gibbs could do a job. Yes. In goal. I I would back him. Yes. Yeah, we, okay. <laughs> let's let's go Gibbs on the bench. So just to clarify, R eleven is Petacek in goal. Armand Traore, right back, centre halves, Pablo Murray and Pascal Sigon with Gael Clichy at left back. Nicola Pepe, Emmanuel Petit, Granit Xhaka and Lucas Podolski across the uh, across the midfield, and Robin Van Persie and Olivier Giroud as the focal points. And on the bench, we've got Nacho Monreal, Lucas Perez, Jack Wilshere, Eduardo, and Kieran Gibbs. So arguably a stronger bench than we have a team. <laughs> Absolutely, and and we forgot Kieran Tierney. Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the end. The end. Um, well, that was that was good fun, but I think I think that team will struggle. Um, there's no oh, balance. Will. There's no balance. Um, <laughs> it's going to struggle big time. I'm worried about the wide areas, and I think other teams that we've picked will target those wide areas. Um, but we'll, we'll just have to see. We'll just have to see. You never know. They might they might throw up a surprise if uh, if in the next four weeks Chris suggests um, some equally difficult elevens to create. Um, then I think this team might not finish last. <laughs> you never know. You never, you never know. know. Look, it's all to be decided. Can't all wait. To, all to play for. All to play for. Okay, so that brings to a close that feature and also this podcast. Um, it's been wonderful to talk to you 24 hours after talking to you in person, Andre. So thank you very much for your time. Um, pleasure is all mine, sir. Pleasure is all mine. And, uh, and I, I have to have a, a quick bit of criticism because I we saw our friend Sammy yesterday and she was very critical of the fact that at the end of every podcast, I invariably say, if you'd like to keep up with us on social media, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook, and also go to our website, which is www.theboysinredandwhite.com. And she reliably said to me, you haven't really done much on your social media channels, have you? And I was like, thanks for that. So, critical. You can wait. You can wait till the best sandwich of all time debate rears its head again. Um, which we'll discuss on another podcast. Yes, and that'll be a bonus episode <laughs> um, for our Patreon subscribers. <laughs> anyway, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back very shortly with another podcast, hopefully after we've beaten the scum next Saturday. Thank you and goodbye.